Lord, tonight we just pursue you, we seek you, we love you. And we want to hear every word that you have for us tonight, God. Do what you want to do in this place. Have your way. In Jesus' name, our God reigns. Amen. Jesus came to restore our place as sons and daughters that operate just like him. He didn't just come in the form of a man only for the price of our salvation, but he came to show us exactly what salvation looks like walking in a day-to-day step with God. And tonight... We're going into week two of this teaching of Turn the Key. Do y'all just feel it right now? Gosh. Um, I felt like the Lord gave me a message called the key of knowledge. The key of knowledge. And we cannot move forward as a house until we understand what seems so, maybe it seems simple, maybe it seems like, could this be deep, could this be big? But if we would understand what this knowledge is all about, I believe we would enter into a whole new day for this house. The gospel that Jesus preached is not just accept me and go to heaven or don't accept me and go to hell. He preached a message about heaven's rule, about dominion, about authority operating in the earth as it already operates in heaven. And you and I are to walk into a true identity as ambassadors of that dominion as we accept salvation in Jesus Christ. And in order for us to understand how to operate as those sons and daughters, to operate as the bride of Christ, to walk this earth in a step-by-step with him, we've got to understand this simple thing called the key of knowledge. I want to start out with what the prophet Hosea says in Hosea chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 1. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. Now, I've said this before, but I want to make sure. Who's Israel? We are. So this is the word for who? Us. Us. Okay. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or what? Knowledge of God in the land. I believe we have become more obsessed with the study of man to understand man when truthfully we need to be obsessed and get to understand us when we simply pursue knowledge of who he is. And what happens that causes unity to be so hard to accomplish in the house, for unity to be so hard to accomplish in the church as a whole, is the way we try to handle and steward each other, whether it be celebrations or, or problems or whatever it may be, is we, when we begin to study who he is rather than the ways of people, when we start to understand who he is and start to know him, we actually take on traits that help you engage every issue. And I, I have spoke with families and I've done marriage counseling and I've counsel young adults and teenagers and you name it 
And I can pretty much everything that's ever come across me to say, help me with this, help me with that. It comes down to one thing. Do you operate in your knowledge of who God is? And if you would simply get to know who he is, every problem you have would be surrendered to that intimacy with the Father. Because you simply begin to take on that which you come into relationship with. You take on traits of who you walk into relationship with. The key to knowledge is simply this. If we would just get obsessed with knowing him, everything that's promised would come. Simple as that. If we would get obsessed with knowing him, I, I believe we'd walk into a day where we wouldn't have to ask anyone else's opinion on what to do. We would just know. We would just know. And that's where unity is. We would all know by knowing. Seems simple, right? But we overcomplicate it. Watch what he says in verses 2 through 3. Hosea says, By swearing and lying, killing and stealing, and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, someone shout, therefore, the land will mourn. Y'all hear that? The land will mourn. Everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, and even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Did you catch that? What Hosea just spoke of was our authority either in operation or not. The evidence that you do not know God is how you engage with each other. Because if you know God, lying, killing, swearing, adultery, revenge, that's what this bloodshed upon bloodshed is, bitterness, gossip, you name it, and knowing him, those would not be any traits of who we were. What's interesting to me in this passage is it goes even further. Now, some of you are looking confused because you're like, well, I mean, I do that sometimes. That doesn't mean I don't know God. But it does mean knowing not in the idea of who he is, but it's evidence of where you're intimate. Because if you're laying in bed with the Father, you won't have time to say anything opposite of what pleases him. And that laying in bed with the Father just messes some of y'all up. If it does, just go back and listen to my series, Song of Solomon. You'll get it. There is an intimacy with Father God that he wants us to dwell in the marriage bedchambers where we are so one with him that nothing apart from him would ever even exude from us. Now, what's interesting about this passage is it specifically says not only will that stuff um, be, be flowing out of those who are not intimate with God, but it says if we do not know God, Everyone who dwells in the land will waste away. The land will waste away. The beasts will go away. The birds of the air will go away. And the fish of the sea go away. The land and all the inhabitants of the land, beasts of the fields, the sky, the water, the land, it will wither away because it only operates best when key holders appropriately manage their lives under a knowing God reality. The scripture tells us that the, the earth is literally yearning for the sons of God to be revealed. Because without the sons of God operating like we should in knowing God, the only response of the earth is to waste away. I don't know if you've ever heard of the revivals, but there's been revivals of towns where there was 
pollution in the water. We talked about this at House Church uh, Thursday night uh, specifically. There was pollution in the water and there was no animals and there was crime rates and the economy was going down. And all of a sudden some crazy people got together and started walking around just praising God with no instruments but just singing. And then when I'm, and I'm within the year, the water was restored the pollution was gone, the animals came back to dwell, crime went to zero, and that was revival. See, we think revival is putting a really good service on and having good church, but revival is actually the land and the government and the people responding to what is called a remnant of people going all in for God. We have got to get out of this mindset that revival is a good church service. Revival is all of the earth responding to an intimacy in a remnant. That's what revival is. It's, learn, it's the earth, it's people, it's animals, it's economy, it's all the, the, the this, is, this is controversial, but the seven mountains of influence of the world actually coming into submission to who he is. They're learning to breathe again. That's what revival is. So if there's moments when we come together tonight and we get, we get through a song and then it gets real quiet and then we kind of shift to this, this, this warfare song and then we go quiet again and the instruments stop and we're just singing. The angels sing over and over, holy, 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 holy. So if you get bored with singing Our God Reigns and you just reveal how intimate you are with God. Because you're still coming here wanting to hear a good band play and not just simply enter in with a worship team. we got to learn to breathe again. This should be called maybe the key to breathing. It, it goes on to say this in verse 6 of Hosea chapter 4. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priests for me. Now, the, the Lord says that we are actually called a royal priesthood. So you cannot walk as priests without knowing him, not knowing about him, not being really versed in theology, but actually knowing God, showing up for a walk with God. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. People do not become destroyed or waste away because God loses his love for them or because God does not want them. It's because they lack a knowledge of who he is. Worship will go to a new level in this house when it goes to a new level in your private house. What we're trying to do in these house churches is get people to understand that what we have learned in church that happens here on a church service, it is just as possible for it to happen in a home so that you'll open your eyes to your home can be an altar of worship and then this should be an agreement of many altars coming together. That's how we learn to breathe. That's how we get in those moments where if, if someone on the, on the stage starts singing, Lord, 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 and all of a sudden you start to know what the next line is, but it's not a song you listen to on his radio, all of a sudden we realize that we're in the same rhythm because we're, we're breathing the same breath. And it started to happen, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught it. But when we started singing, Our God Reigns, and we cut the music, and people started saying, I don't know if you could hear it, but it was almost like this beautiful symphony. A symphony is not a bunch of violins. 
A symphony is a violin and a saxophone and a timpani and a flute and a clarinet and a trumpet and a coronet and a bunch of instruments that I can't pronounce. It's all coming together with all these different notes and different things creating one sound. And I'm telling you, if we would press in individually, there will be a new sound arising from the house and the Lord goes, oh, there, there they are. Luke 11, 52 through 53, or just verse 52. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law, for you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. The religious people or the church of that day removed the key to knowledge. They removed the possibility for people to simply know God. And you know how they did it? They created a legalistic approach by creating a list of rules that no one could keep that actually got them so obsessed with getting the rules that they lost the ability to know who God was. Legalists load people with heavy and unnecessary burdens that won't help you, that, and then they won't help you carry them. Religion tries to put burdens on you that you cannot carry and then the people who put it on you or the spirit that puts it on you won't help you carry it. I hope it's okay, but I'm going to give an example. At house church, Brian was, uh, I hope it's okay, he was being very transparent, so it's the same thing. You know, you said it there, you said it here, and I get, I get to just embarrass you. But Brian was talking about, um, just, you know, talking about how much he loves the house and all that, and he said, Years ago, he was, a, he was a, in a church, and he was like, man, I really want to become an usher. And I'm not, I, I pray that the Lord has changed his desire because, like, what, in that version of usher, it was the people who had the suits on that put the plates on the chairs and passed the offering plate. And he was like, wow, I really want to be that. I just rebuked that in the name of Jesus. But, but he, was, he really wanted to do that. And when they went to him and said, hey, I want to be an usher, they said, oh, you can't do this. And he said, why? He said, they said, you've been divorced. Right? Now, now, now hear me when I'm trying to paint a picture of. The unnecessary burden was if you ever get divorced, you can never serve God. And the same people who put that burden on him would not help him walk as a divorced man. Right? And that's what church does. We put all these reasons as to why people cannot walk with God, and then we won't help them carry that burden. And before you know it, they get a taste in their mouth that they don't want anything to do with God. Thank the Lord Holy Spirit led Brian and Renee to talk to me randomly one night at Panera Bread Company in Pooler. That's literally how they got to the church. They would not come to the church. They wanted to talk with me, and we had a, a conversation at Panera Bread like at 9 p.m. And if any of you know me, I'm falling asleep at that time. <laughs> but that's what the Holy Spirit was doing because it was a foreign sound for them to hear Oh, I, I don't care if you're a woman and you preach. That's awesome. I don't care if you're a man and, you wanna, and you've been divorced and you want to serve. That, that, that was a foreign sound. And what, and what the revival is is getting people to understand that what sound has become foreign is actually not the correct sound of God. It, it, that, that is the thing that has removed the key to knowing. Because if, if, if the people who represent God, when we start to paint a picture of who that God is, why would anyone want to worship him? Everything we do, the way we react with each other, the way we talk with each other, the way we do life with each other has to be a flow of who he is. That's the revival. That's the catching the breath all over again. 
Jesus looks at the people and says, leave what you know and follow me. You know what they knew? Legalism and burdens. They knew religion. God came to earth and said, leave all of that behind and follow me. And as they began to know him, they began to know who they were by seeing themselves in the eyes of God. And when they saw themselves as God saw them, that actually caused them to walk out of, your strong, out of their strongholds. The thing that gets you broken free out of your strongholds is not the right person praying rather than walking into a knowing of who he is. We have made eternal life an idea of what happens when the flesh dies. If salvation was only about heaven, Jesus did a really poor job teaching salvation because he taught much more about living on earth than he did what happens when you die. He barely ever mentioned it. Everything he talked about was living now and dwelling now and walking now. And what the church has done is painted a picture of this is going to suck until you die. And sorry if that word offends you. I'll try not to use it again. It's just the most appropriate one I can think of. It's horrible. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, you can learn how to live as in heaven on the earth, on earth as it is, not will be, but as it is. He says, if, you'll, if you will leave what you know and start to walk with me, I will show you a better way and you will learn how to be stewards of this earth and not be victims of everything that happens. And when you start to know me and follow me, everything around will actually respond to you. That is how there ended up being 120 getting together to pray in the upper room and the sound filled the room so much that the whole town heard what was a foreign sound. What was foreign? The most natural sound the earth was yearning for. And when they heard the sound, they came to the room, and then all of a sudden this dude gets up and he starts preaching. The same dude who denied Jesus three times days earlier. And you know what religion does today? You deny Jesus, you can't preach, Peter. Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17. We hear about the Lord's Prayer. I actually believe that John 17 is actually the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually the prayer for disciples. This is the Lord's Prayer, John 17. I want to read this in verses 3 through 5. This is the way to have eternal life. Y'all, did y'all hear that? This is the way to have eternal life. To say a line at the front of the church that I don't want to go to hell and I believe in Jesus. No. The way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to the earth. Do you hear that? The way to have eternal life, know God. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Eternal life is not your placement when you die. Eternal life is simply, I know God. Do you hear that? Eternal life, you know God. Eternal life is knowing who he is. And when you walk into knowing, eternal life is the reward because you no longer live according to a world that we know. We live according to a world that he designed. And you start to operate in a kingdom government of simply knowing God. You hear that? 
Eternal life is simply knowing him. I know God. I'm alive. I am eternal. I'm in eternal living because I know God. And when your mind aligns with I know God, therefore I am in eternal life, then disease doesn't scare you anymore because you don't live according to something that might be ending me because I am already in a state of eternal. So spiritual warfare is no longer praying against your disease 45 times a day. It's making sure your mind doesn't give in to any other truth than that you are eternal. So whether it's sickness or disease or depression or worry, warfare is I'm not going to let my mind convince me that I know that more than I know my father. Does that make sense? That's spiritual warfare. Going on in verse 15 is I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. That's Jesus talking to the father. I want them to have eternal life and I don't want them to leave. Keep them safe from the evil ones. You hear that? Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer. Eternal life, knowing God, God, leave them right here and don't take them. His prayer was that we would stay on the earth and you're begging to get off of it. You know what that's called? Disagreement because you don't actually know the one you're praying to. Because if you knew the one you were praying to, your prayer would be, God, use me, not God, take me. Because your want will be with his want. What's his want? Keep him there. That's, that's offensive for some of you, isn't it? It's probably why there's a little bit of a smaller crowd tonight. <laughs> be in this world with an eternal life from knowing God, not the evil one. Think about it. Adam and Eve were in the garden, Right? But they were in the garden with the snake. They were in the garden with Satan. And until we got to the conversation, we see a life in the garden that was completely fine. The presence of the enemy did not affect their state of living in the garden of of Eden. They had eternal life, not by way of knowing what was in the garden or what might be in the garden, but they had eternal life by way of a walk with knowing God. The presence of evil did not affect their life. Their agreement with what evil tempted them with caused them to be separated in their minds. But they actually weren't separated because the enemy is not stronger than God. And God still showed up for the walk even though they ate of the tree of the knowledge of, the, of, the, of, of good and evil. God, the first thing God asked is, where are you? You think God actually didn't know where they were? When he asked Adam and Eve, where are you? He wasn't asking them, where did you go? He was asking, why didn't you show up for the appointment? We go for a walk at this time of the day every day and now you off somewhere with, with fig leaves all over you. You get all that you need and all you need to know by simply knowing God. Think about this. We read about the Apostle Paul. And we read of his life as if he walked with the literal man Jesus. But let me remind you that he walked with Jesus like we walked with Jesus. 
And he wrote more of the Bible than the 12 who actually walked with Jesus did. And he had the same proximity of relationship as we do. How was Paul so knowledgeable? How, how, how could he know how to handle snakes and fire? How, how could we know that, uh, how he could handle all of these things that he walked through? Because he simply knew God the same way that we're invited to know God. Peter was with God, with Jesus, and I've been reading it every week, but I'm reading it again because God is showing more and more in this. Peter looks at Jesus, and Jesus has a conversation. In Matthew chapter 13, or 16, it says this, and starting in 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. And then he asked, who do you say that I am? Well, Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. I think that's interesting because it doesn't say the Holy Spirit. It says his Father. So any theology that tells you you have to have Jesus to have access to the Father is wrong. The Father wants to dwell with man and, and woman, mankind, period. And he gives us Jesus to make us clean, but he doesn't have to go through Jesus to speak to us. That's why Jesus says, you can rebuke me all day, but don't rebuke Holy Spirit. Because Jesus came to show us what the walk was. He came to deliver us from any power of the evil one, of sin. But the Father didn't need Jesus to be able to love us. Y'all are giving me a lot of looks right now. You think I'm taking away from the glory of Jesus, I'm not. Because if you understand that Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit are one, then you get your mind off the religiosity of three that are separate. If Jesus is simply the spoken word of the Father, then one could say that the Father came as a man and we called him Jesus. Okay. It says, look, look at this. You didn't learn, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Why were the keys of the kingdom given to Peter? By way of knowing. It was the end result in a line of questioning that began with this. Peter, who do you say that I am? Technically, Simon. And when Simon revealed that he knew that Jesus was Messiah, he became identified as Peter, meaning rock. And Jesus says, on, that, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. What rock? Not Peter. The rock, it was the solid rock of knowing who God was. He says, Peter, you're now identified in Christ. Simon, you are rock because you know the rock. And I will build my church on those who know the rock. I'll get even, you know, I'll go back old school. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. He says, when you know me, that's who I'll build my church with. 
not talented people. Everyone that God used in the scripture, <laughs> most of them had no talent. They only had it by way of Holy Spirit. He took stutterers and asked them to preach. He took a man who could not make his decision up and used him to preach the very first sermon. His name was Peter in the upper room. Over and over, he took a guy named Saul who murdered people that believed in Jesus and said, yep, yeah, you're my guy. He says, I want to build my church with people who simply know me. If we are a people identified in Jesus, the only way we turn keys is by way of knowing. So stop studying man and begin to know the rock so he can build with a rock called you. If, if we study culture to be culturally relevant, then we're not building on anything called solid rock. Why study a culture that we're meant to transform? Why not study a culture of heaven that transforms the one we're called to transform? If we come to simply know who he is, in that knowing, he would give us the way to release a sound that will cause the ones we need to transform to come running toward the sound. I never read a scripture in the Bible where Jesus says, hey, get, get, get some stones, write Jesus saves on them, and pass them out to everyone you can. That would have been the, old, the New Testament uh, version of tracts. He never said that. He simply said, go and make disciples. Go and teach them who I am. Go and teach them what it means to live in a disciplined way of knowing me. And, and you know what? As they did that, it says signs followed them. We don't pray for signs, but signs follow those who know. If we're a people identified in Jesus, the only way we turn keys is by way of knowing. You see, after Satan had a conversation with Eve in the garden, convincing her to take fruit from the tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil, telling her she ain't going to die. I want you to look at what it says in Genesis 3, 6 through 7. There's a beeping going on. If y'all can help figure that out, it is distracting me so much. Genesis 3, 6 through 7. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted what? The wisdom it would give her. Do y'all see the problem already starting? She was hungry for a wrong type of knowledge. What was the wrong type of knowledge? Any knowledge outside of the walk. Do you, do you understand the only way that Satan had permission to tempt her was because it was outside of the walk? It, she wanted a wisdom, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed thick leaves together to cover themselves. Too many of us are still seeking a wisdom outside of knowing God. She wanted a wisdom that actually caused separation. You see, this is what the Lord showed me. And again, this might seem so simple to you, but it was so big for me. Adam and Eve took from a tree and ate from it. They took and they ate. Someone say, take and eat. 
They took and they ate. Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and, and, and blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples, and says, take this and eat it. You know what happened in the garden? Wrong communion. They wanted a communion of a different type of knowing. You know what Jesus did at the Last Supper? He restored the wrong take and eat. <laughs> he says, no, no, I'm going to restore the take and eat. I'm going to offer you communion, and it is an invite into the most appropriate knowing, and that mankind has walked out of appropriate knowing and trying to know anything else. And he says, no, 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 don't take and eat from anything else. Take and eat from me. You see, communion is less to do with bread and wine and more to do with understanding the examples of bread and wine, inviting you into a day-to-day -day knowing with God. The communion with God brings you into an appropriate knowing, and that appropriate knowing is the rock on which Jesus builds his church. So if we want revival, we're not going to try to get the best this or the best that or what he likes or what she likes. We want a people coming together to simply say, we want the appropriate take and eat. That's it. There is no other strategy that we need to know. Because that's why we're building large houses of worship with no power and no authority. Do they give God praise? Absolutely. Do we give God honor? Absolutely. But there is something wrong if the environment around us is not shifting toward a heavenly culture. We need to know only what he wants, only what he desires. We need to know what kind of sound he likes and not the sound that the radio tells you to like. I will be so bold to say that Jesus doesn't want to build his church based on the head knowledge of Jesus saves. He wants to build it on a communion with the one who saves. And this knowing brings his kingdom into the earth realm from a heavenly realm. Romans 8, 14 through 15. Is this okay tonight, y'all? Yeah. It says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. The word adopted is from a word, weothesia. And it simply means this, to be placed. So another way to read this is you received God's spirit when you were placed. It is knowing God that brings you into proper placement. And some have more relationship with their eternal destination than their present placement. Do you hear that? Don't have more relationship with your eternal destination than your present placement. And when we have more relationship with our eternal destination, that's why sons and daughters don't walk with authority. Because we don't want to know the walk, we want to know the destination. 
I mean, think about, think about when you get in the car. Most of the time, you don't get in the car just to drive. You drive in order to get to a destination. Well, the Lord says, commune with me with the drive. It's not about where you'll end up. It's about I want the communion every step of the way. That's why it's called a promise. Don't have a relationship with the promise. Have a relationship with the one who, who wants to walk with you, and there is a promise attached to the walk. If we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, this, I don't know why I'm, I'm, I wrote this down, but listen to this. If we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, then spells and witchcraft and any other form of deceit and wickedness cannot touch you. So, a rebuke is not authority over a craft. A rebuke is actually authority over your mind, over your mind commanding it to not know any other reality than I am seated. So the way witchcraft works, whether it be literal or figurative, it tries to manipulate you with lies. It tries to get a hold of you. Bitterness does it. Gossip does it. Offense does it. It tries to grab you. And a rebuke is not, you have to get away from me. Because the truth is, it actually doesn't have any authority over you. The rebuke is, I'm not going to let my mind take and eat of that craft. So when something comes against you, whether it be gossip, bitterness, offense, or, or rumors, or, or you get this weird, it, it, it's, it's just simply, no, 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 no. I, I rebuke the idea that I'm going to eat and commune with the idea. I'm only going to commune with him. So when a thought comes into your life that tries to convince you anything other than pleasing and perfect will of God, then rebuke is, no, 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 I'm not going to sit at that table. You don't have to tell, it's, it, it, it's, it's not about witchcraft, get away. It's, I'm not going to accept the invite. Because if you're seated in the heavenly places, guess who's not? The enemy. So stop engaging from a seat as if what the enemy does can actually touch you. It's simply don't get up from your seat and sit at his table. It's stay seated and commune with the one who offered you the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. Y'all are too quiet. This is so exciting. It wasn't until Peter knew who he was walking with that he received the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to read it again, verse 16, 19. Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The power of the keys were the authority to govern the house of God. You hear this? The power of keys is the authority to govern the house of God. And the house of God cannot be defined just as heaven. The house of God needs to be defined as the entire world. And God says, here are the keys to make my house look like my house. Here are the keys to make my house everywhere look like my house. If you believe God is everywhere, then you have to believe that everywhere is his. So he says, here are the keys, make it look like so. Yeah. 
And as we govern the house of God, that is every aspect of our lives, every part of our our walking, there is a way that is handed down by way of knowing. In the upper room in Acts 2, the believers were praying, seeking to know God. The Holy Spirit blew over them, and they were adorned with gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Peter says when all that happened. I want to read this in Acts 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Not just the people in the New Testament. Not just the people in the upper room. On all people. And let me just say this. The last days started a long time ago. So chill. Okay? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy. Do you hear that? They're both going to get the gifts. That's right here, the word of God. It says, I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. The moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arise. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They will be saved from a blindness of not knowing him. They will be saved from a blindness of not knowing where they are to be placed. And when eyes are open to that communion, gifts adorn all people who believe. And the key you need to bring your, that you need to get, get your eyes to is that he gives all of us gifts to walk in, all who believe. So maybe we need to stop asking for gifts and ask for clarity to what you've already been placed in. I, I, I've been hearing it. Well, I want gifts. Well, you don't understand then how God wants to walk with you because for all who believe, gifts are poured out. You know what the legalistic religious spirit has done in the Pentecostal church? First of all, we named the denomination after a feast. You can munch on that and talk about it. Number two, the legalistic, the legalistic approach to the Pentecostal church, the spirit-filled church, is earn the gift. You don't earn the gift. It's poured out by your way of knowing. I cannot tell you how many times I have spoke with my Baptist friends, even my Baptist preacher friends, who when we start talking about the gifts of the Spirit, they'll always say they don't agree with the theology of it, but they'll have testimonies of seeing it happen. Don't even, I'm not even going to try to explain that. But here's what I know. They will never say that God did not pour it out every time. When they've seen it, they say, I can't explain it with my theology, but I saw it and it happened and it was good. Because whether you claim belief in it or not, when you walk with him, it's poured out on you whether you want it or not. Because no matter what denomination you sit in, if you show up for a walk, the fruit of the walk is going to look the same. And his spirit's going to pour out on all people, men and women alike, Pentecostals and Baptists alike, Catholics, Methodists. If they believe in God and walk, it's going to happen. So why should we not look as to what divides us? Because if we look to what unifies us, a walk of knowing, then we all end up in the same place. (laughs) 
First Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A good steward of grace is not sit in grace. It is steward grace by walking in gifts for a purpose. Uh, I'm going to read this, 2 Timothy 1, 6-7. That's why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. He says, fan into flame. Spiritual gifts cannot work without your will to work them. And gifts come by way of knowing. You see, we try to put these formulas and all this stuff. Well, how do I walk in the gift of, of tongues? And how do I walk in a, a gift of healing? Simply show up for the walk of knowing who he is and what you need will be given to you in the right time. And even that seems elementary to some of us. We think, yeah, but you, you got to tell me the process. I'm telling you the process. Relationship. That's it. And not a relationship of the parts of God you like. But even with the ones that you may not like, like the times when God tells you you're wrong, like the times when God reveals that we're walking in the, the wrong direction, we have to submit to that walk and say, you know what, I, this doesn't fit in my mind of knowing, but I don't want to know that side. I want to know everything that you have for me, so I'm going to show up for a walk. And if I can go even further, if you call this house home, at some point you have to trust that you may not understand the way of the walk of this house as much as you think you might. Like, if you believe that I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you that the vision for this house is to get in the house churches, and you're not in the house church, then you actually don't want to know the way of the walk of this house. Because there is a greater level of glory coming in that. Well, I don't like those people. God doesn't like you half the time, but he still loves you. And in the same way, we have to kind of throw that stuff aside and say, you know what? I'm going to show up for the walk that God has called me to walk in. That's why there's different houses because God says, I have something that I want this house to walk in. I have something I want that house to walk in. There is... I'm prophesying right now in the name of Jesus, there is something about coming together in the homes that is going to open the heavens. And you can either catch it or you can just stand by. But there is something that is going to break through in the homes. And half of you are still coming wanting it here. And God says, I'm going to pour it out there. The only way to know that is not to try to get the method down, but to simply show up for the walk. It is a different knowing. It is a we're willing to believe that a worship in a corporate gathering can be stronger in a smaller one. And I know that that, that may not, you may not like hearing me say that. And you may think, well, you're saying I'm not a part of this. I, I, I mean, maybe so, but I, I'm trying to get you to open your eyes that there, there is something to this that God is trying to do in a people. There is something that God is trying to do in groups of people worshiping in the homes. Because it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's not always Facebook worthy. 
It's not always a great advertisement to say, hey, join us in church. We're going to be in, you know, 10 homes this weekend. That may not be the most appeasing thing. But are you trying to satisfy your appetite or are you willing to believe that the bread and the wine may taste differently than what you have communed with? I feel like I'm getting in trouble for this one. And I'm not saying question your salvation. I'm not saying question your connection to this house. But what I am saying is open your eyes to knowing the one in a deeper way. And when you do that, he says, I'm going to give you keys to access blessing, heaven's resources, all for the purposes of the glory of his name. Jesus, the king of this world, does not want you to live as a victim of the world system. He gives keys to access an invisible realm of the kingdom with all of its resources and power so that you can be empowered to live abundantly. And abundantly simply means this. I have no need in order to fulfill my purpose. We need to move out of this idea of rejection of prosperity gospel and just understand what prosperity gospel is. The kingdom of God simply wants you to prosper, and the definition of prosper is you have what you need to accomplish his purpose. That's it. That's what prosperity truly is. And if you're jealous of someone else's prosperity, it tells me what table you're eating at. I'm going to close with this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shown the light that is the knowledge of him in your hearts. So he put light, which is knowledge, in you so that it can be shown out into dark places. And half of you are still under the religious stronghold of you separate from darkness. When you're actually designed to light up dark places. And you want to know why people won't receive your light? Because it doesn't come off as love, it comes off judgmental. No one doubts what you're saying is right. No one, I don't know who this is for. No one, no one doubts what you're saying is correct. But if you don't say it in the same culture of heaven then whether you are right or not does not matter because it's not received. It has to be a shining in to dark places. It has to be everything in you by way of the walk with God has got to begin to shine in to places of darkness. And darkness is ignorance. It's places that don't know who he is. Knowledge shines into ignorance. Knowledge shines into lack of knowledge. So if you see something that you've identified, they don't know what they're doing is wrong. Maybe the correct posture is not to put them on the pedestal of your wrongs, so I'm going to separate. Maybe it's I'm going to take this chance to introduce you to the table that I'm sitting at.
You see, I promise you this is, this is not a message about house churches. Maybe, maybe it is. I mean, it's, that's fine. But there is something that's going to happen when we get vulnerable in the homes with each other. Because what the culture of church has created to be in the United States is don't be transparent and real about any of your problems. Why? Because you still view your problems as the legalistic burdens that you're not meant to carry. The fact of the matter is, the best way to get through your problems is to let a group of 12 help you carry the problem. Not, I'm scared to be vulnerable in my problem because I don't want to be excluded from the walk with other people who are walking. I'm telling you, I, I have seen it clearly. As we gather in the homes, there's going to be so many of them that the building will not be able to contain the corporate expression. Let me get more real. Let me make sure I say this right. Okay, we, we will not be in this building forever. Okay? There's nights in here where there's not a seat available. There's nights where the parking lot cannot hold everything. There will come a day when the expression of this house cannot rely on this building. Literally and figuratively. There will be a day where a building cannot contain the corporate expression of a people knowing God. And what the Lord has shown me is when we start walking in these house churches and, and it, it, it's not coming together to read the Bible. It, it's not that. It's we're coming together to worship and pray together. Y'all, y'all hear that? That's, it, it, the house churches are moving into that vision of we're not coming together just to study the word, but rather we're studying the word by communing with worship and prayer. The word is a person of God. And we're going to come to know the word by coming together in homes and just worshiping him together and praying together. And people will be healed by the laying on of hands in the homes. And it's going to multiply because the homes can't contain. So then we have to split and do more homes and more homes. And there will be a day where there's hundreds and hundreds of homes. And all you know is these 12 to 15 people. And then for some reason, when these hundreds of homes come together in outside in Forsyth Park, there's going to be such a corporate agreement that when cars drive by, they're going to stop in the middle of the road. Traffic's going to stop because everyone's going to get out of their car. And it's, it, it's, it's going to be like... Your idea of rapture in real time. They're just going to stop, get out, get in the park, and there's going to be such a praise that there will be healing flowing throughout the city and any form of witchcraft. They're going to scream and all we're going to hear is this. Because they will not have any power or influence over what God is doing through a corporate expression of people who are showing up for a walk. And it's not going to happen. So... Don't come to me saying, hey, we should go rent out Forsyth. We should start worshiping. No, because you're still not doing it here. You're still not doing it in the homes. It has to start in smaller corporate expressions. God has shown the light, the knowledge of him to us. 
And we have to start to really want to know him. And if you trust me as your leader, I'm taking you to the place where he is saying that's where the next phase of the walk is. We have the responsibility of taking to what we know and making it known. We've overcomplicated this thing. It is knowing God that brings life. It is knowing God that brings his kingdom. It's knowing God that takes you into his pleasing and perfect will. It is knowing God that gives you access to all the things he wants for you. It's the key to knowledge. The key of knowledge, knowing God, gives you access to a revelation of who he is. I'm going to read Mark 8, verse 2. It says, I feel sorry for these people. This is Jesus speaking. They've been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. This is funny because Jesus actually knows the solution, but he's posing the question as if he doesn't know. He says, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here for three days. They have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they're going to faint along the way. Some of them have come a long distance. So his disciples replied, why are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Not understanding that they were communing with the food. He was saying, what do we give them to eat that sustains them? And the answer was really just coming to him. He wanted them to walk in a knowing of him in such a way where the problem arose, they weren't trying to figure out by knowing their way. It was a know me and my way. Because our government supersedes anything. You know what the government of the world was? You cannot feed all these people with seven loaves. You know what the government of heaven was? What do you have? You mean you mean break you out of some of your religion right now? You need to start asking yourself that question. That's not in my notes, but just hear me. You need to start asking yourself that question. What do you have? If all you have is a revelation of I love Jesus, walk in it. If you have a if you have a revelation of what ecclesia is, start walking in it. If you have a revelation of I just trust in God and that's all I know how to do, walk in it. Whatever you know, walk in it. Just walk in it. You see, some of us get so obsessed with what we don't know that we don't glory in what we do. So you get more obsessed with, I want more, when you're not showing up for the walk that you're currently placed and positioned for. You see, it's, it's the struggle of comparison because I hear it sometimes. Well, I want to read the Bible like you, Kyle. I want to get that understanding like you have that understanding. But here's the thing. Are you willing to embrace the idea that you may not, because God has, has given that to me, 
to serve the plates here. So whether or not you hear it on your own accord or through my mouth, you still get the food. So we're obsessed with this, I want to do it like him, and I want to do it like her, and I want to get there like that guy, and I want to get there like this guy. And God just says, would you just show up for the walk with me, with me? That's all he wants. You only got a word. Peewee, Gary, y'all got anything? No. What you got, Philip? What you got? Yeah. I want you guys to, to understand something. E e even... I don't know how to say this. I don't know why I'm on this. This so, so, y'all might have to start telling me to shut up. Um, e even, even, even like this is, is kind of wrong posture. I feel like what, 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 this is what I'm trying to say. Like we, we've been we've been conditioned for you to sit there and receive, but we're walking into a day where this, like you are ecclesia. So it's, there's things popping out of you. And you're hearing it and you're like, well, I'm not the pastor. It's a function, not a lording over position. If you're hearing the voice of God, don't doubt it. You're hearing the voice of God and there's weight to it because you're communing at the same table that I commune at. Hear me, church. Show up for the walk. The knowledge of knowing, that the, the key to, is knowledge. The key is just knowing who he is. And you know what Jesus did? He made you good enough to simply start walking at any place, at any point. says forgive them father for they do know not what they do that's what he said that's what Jesus said on the cross you know what we didn't know at that moment we were at the wrong table you know who was at the right table the thief you know who was at the right table the ones waiting on him 
let, let, let me throw this out even more. They were walking on the road to Emmaus, and who showed up walking with them? Jesus. Which means they were walking in the right path. They just simply did not recognize the one who was at the table, but they were at the right one. And I feel like there's some of you in here that are questioning, am I on the wrong path? Am I in the right steps? How do I know I'm at the right table? I'm telling you right now that you need to, you, you need to stop being so consumed with am I at the right table and just start beginning to know the one who will always place you at the right table. Just know him. I, I keep... I'm not speaking against this because even my wife and I have talked about doing it, so I want you to hear me that I'm not speaking against this. Y'all hear that? I'm not speaking against what I'm about to say. I am not speaking against what I am about to say. But I keep seeing all these things on Facebook about reading the Bible in a year, right? That's great. But I also want to say, if God has you at Mark chapter 1 for a whole year, that's just as good. It's not about getting it all read. It's about knowing, knowing him. And if, I, I feel like that's a burden that needs to lift. If, if you sit in one verse for the next five years and you're communing with God on that one verse, that is good. It's good. Because the goal is not to read the Bible in a year. The goal is to know him. The goal is just to commune with him and show up for the walk. So, Lord, I thank you that you have given us such a simple call to show up for a walk with you. The key to knowledge is knowing you. That's all we want to know. Church, you don't earn authority. It's placed. It's given to you. You don't earn righteousness. He purchases the ability to stand as right before him. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just bring to light right now the reason you've placed us where you've placed us. Give people a peace about their placement and show them purpose in their placement.
thank you, Lord, for doing what you're doing tonight. We want to know you. Thank you for inviting us to your table. In Jesus' name.